Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You just got to kind of use reason when you're underwriting something. Don't do a deal just because you have to do a deal. And I think that would be my biggest advice. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from the bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Craig Cecilio. How you doing, Craig? Good, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Craig. He is a CEO and founder of Diversity Fund. He has participated in development of over 1,000 single-family residences as joint venture 
equity partner as well as a lender or sponsor. He's financed nearly $1 billion, with a B, billion dollars of real estate assets, having raised over $100 million in debt or equity in the last three years. Been very busy, based in sunny San Diego, California. With that being said, Craig, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. Yeah, it sounds like I've been busy, or it sounds like I'm just kind of getting old. I'm not sure which one <laughs> it is exactly. But yeah, I, I founded... Uh, crowdfunding platform in 2014, combining my love of technology and real estate. I started in real estate in 1998. Uh, I started doing real estate syndication in 1999. Uh, It was a different market back then, of course. When I saw the opportunity to get involved in taking an older business, such as real estate syndication, and combining technology with it, and getting online, I got really excited. I'm all in, and it's been a quite a journey the last few years of getting the platform up and running. The last 12 months, we've been focusing on making it a vertically integrated platform, and that's a platform where we are the developer or co-developer on all our projects. And we chose that route. One is for better transparency, better control, better reporting. And we just felt like that was the way to go to minimize the risk for the investor when they were trying out the platform to give them a better user experience. And they thought that would be a a win-win for both parties. Certainly a differentiating feature because I haven't come across too many. I can't think of any, perhaps you can, of platforms that are a co-developer on all the projects versus being a meeting place for the investor and the sponsor to meet and then they just facilitate in the introduction mm-hmm. why did you part choose that, that approach about, part of that's with my experience of doing a lot of transactions and by being a third-party sponsor or lending the money to somebody else there is going to be a number of deals that may go south it's just you're playing against the odds there And we thought that, hey, if we did this, how do we minimize that from happening? How do we make that actually go away? Our goal is not to have anything go south on our platform. And we kind of really thought about that hard. And we started doing a lot of research. And I started looking at, okay, we're talking about giving investors an alternative investment vehicle, maybe give most investors their first time investing in real estate, also giving them higher returns than they would find in the stock market, traditional savings and bonds accounts. And we kind of put that all together and just said, it's very risky if you're going to give your money to a third party. But if we could create an institutional quality product and give a double-digit return to somebody, how would we do that? And this is what we came up with. We said, hey, the best way to do this to protect all parties was to create a vertically integrated platform. I get from your side definitely why to do it from a profitability standpoint because I'm guessing you make more money as a co-developer than someone who would facilitate the process and take a asset management fee or some sort of fee. So I get that. The challenge that I'd like to ask about is maybe because I don't know if it is or isn't a challenge, having another sponsor come on board and say, yeah, you know what, Craig, I'm in and I'm okay with you all co-developing with me to get access to the investors on the platform. 
Mm-hmm. Have you come across that challenge? Yes and no. I would say it's not really a challenge. Alan, my partner, and I have been in the real estate industry for about 20 years. So we have a pipeline of up to a billion dollars right now coming at us. But we've also kind of looked at how do we take this to the next level and how do we allow that opportunity to, to third parties. And we're open to that. Well, we have certain stages and phases to our development. So right now we are going to go through our pipeline and then reassess the market. We do this every year, reassess where the market is and then decide, hey, do we stick with our pipeline? Is that pipeline correct where the market's headed or do we go out and change direction and open this up to other people? So it's a very dynamic, very process driven, but we are opening up to taking other people's projects aboard as well. Okay. For what percent would you say are just your projects versus your partnering with a, another developer sponsor? Right now, it's 100% us. And our pipeline, I would say, is pretty good. That's going to be 100% us. But I see as soon as we hit around the four to $500 million mark, which we believe will be year 2019, then we'll start taking in other people. Okay. Why create a crowdfunding platform to do all this versus just doing one-off syndications or even creating a fund? Oh, that's a good question. So first, we created the platform to allow anyone anywhere in the U.S. to invest in our invest in our projects. Right now, we're doing Title Two C Reg D offerings, which means anyone anywhere who goes in who's accredited can, can invest in these in real time through the website. We're also in the process with the SEC to get the Reg A plus offering accepted, which means the non-accredited investor will be able to participate as well. We're opening this up to people who haven't had the opportunity to participate in real estate investing. So a lower barrier to entry. So our barrier to entry is only $5,000 today. It's going to be as low as $500. We're anticipating February 2018. So as a customer or investor, you can learn a little bit about the real estate process by investing in our platform, as well as participate in development projects and projects that are kind of way outside the realm of where you'd ever get contacted to participate in. Most of our transactions and projects have minimum amounts of $5 million of equity in them. So these are kind of very large projects that the the general public does not have access to. Mm -hmm. As far as you mentioning, any accredited investor in the U.S. can invest. That sounds like it 506C, as in CAT, where you can publicly advertise, but you have to have a third-party verification process to make sure that they're accredited. So why not just do 506C offering versus creating a platform? It is a 506C platform. You create the platform, so you create the technology, so you could have more people fulfill a project, fill an offering. It's leveraging technology. Okay, having so people do the whole process from soup to nuts on the website itself. Okay, so basically it's automating the process. Exactly. So you can put an ad in New York Times, invest in this deal because it's 506C, and instead of having an administrative assistant or someone else on your team field that email or phone call and talk about the opportunity, they just go to the website, they see the opportunity, 
and then they can invest directly and it cuts out the people time involved. Yeah, it does. And it cuts out a lot of middlemen in the way as well. A lot of these offerings get fulfilled by funds of funds, broker dealers, brokers. They take fees representing people to put their money into projects like this. We have a lot of funds of funds coming to us. So that person could directly go in and get that full return. Hmm. How much does it cost to build a platform? It costs a lot to build a platform. I think more importantly than cost, it's perseverance. It's really kind of being able to keep your company going at the same time investing dollars into the platform itself. It's well north of seven figures, but there's a lot of moving parts to it. Mm -hmm. You have to invest in the technology. You have to invest in the people. My investment the real estate itself. We have our own money in some of the real estate projects. You have to invest a lot into marketing and PR. It's quite a bit of money that you have to put into it. Knowing what you know now, before you got started, would you still do it? I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> well, once you said north of seven figures, obviously I have to ask that question. I'm a pretty driven guy. I just felt like I was kind of born to do this because I've been syndicating for so long and I kind of had an idea of how do I use technology? So how do I syndicate this project and get it done more quickly? And I needed technology to do that. And I had ideas way back in early 2000s about trying this out. So I would say, yeah, the cost would never get in the way of me. It would, I would figure it out. You do something for a long period of time, you have an idea, okay, this can make it accelerate the process more. But I think the biggest motivator for me above everything was how exclusive it was. I learned from a lot of wealthy people about this investment and saw how they made a lot of money over the years. And it wasn't open to everyone. And how did I find out about it? I had just a side conversation with someone who taught me about this. And all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, a whole different world exists out there. And today, it's a little different than it was 20 years ago. And to make something that was exclusive, make it inclusive, was a major motivator. And the second motivator that I have, which is just as big, is how do I do this and do something different? We always focus on just real estate development, your returns. How do we do this and fund projects that can make an impact on society? How can we do a project to bring a different type of architecture to an area? How do we fund a project that might change some of the general landscape of some blighted areas? If you look at some of the investments that we have on our site right now, we're kind of going down that path, doing more, we're choosing more socially impactful projects. And that's kind of where we want to focus with this. It's not only give someone a return, but let someone participate in doing something that's different. And I think that's what the crowd allows that to happen. Whereas if you went to a traditional means to get that, people are more just focused on the return, the numbers, not the creativity mm. component. Ah, uh, Yes, I can see that. And you read my mind. That's actually where I was going next on the types of projects that you're doing. Can you give us a specific example of one? Sure. There's a housing shortage in San Diego. So they had a high density bonus if you created more affordable housing units in certain parts of town. So we we're able to buy a blighted property that's in a very, very centralized part of San Diego. And we're going to build about, right now it's 57 apartments and it's about 5,000 square feet of commercial space. So it takes this area where there's not a lot of housing. It takes an area where it's kind of older houses, an older area of town, 
and we're going to bring new architecture there, have some affordable units. We're trying to make it as much as possible. I'm trying to make it very friendly for electric cars in the predominant LGBT community, just kind of really bring the creativity to the area and everything. And what are the main metrics that you look at whenever you're assessing an opportunity like that? I don't want to oversimplify that one. Just have been around the <laughs> market and had uh, to have the relationships. I've known some people for 20 years and it kind of just fell on my lap, this one, with the, the passage of these ordinances. So what we're looking at is more of a value add. How can we add value to the properties in specific areas? So in every area throughout the U.S., there's probably codes and, and opportunities out there. If you really dive deep into the zoning and the entitlements in those specific communities, they're everywhere. You just have to do the research on them. And really your value add is where you're going in, you're changing the zoning or some zoning got passed where you could take a traditional area that was one way and make it another way. So going in, when you're buying the property, you're kind of buying at the right price to make a profit on it or to give it a good return. What are some of the successful value-add strategies you've implemented? That would be one of them. Another one is bringing a new architectural design to a community. I think that would be the second one. That's probably a very big one. See a couple other ones were, I think we did a student housing project, modernized a property that was entitled a certain way, where, for instance, a property had a single family residence on it, and the zoning said you could build up to 16 units of apartments. That was a student housing project that we did. We had some value there. What we're trying to do now is doing that, add the value as well as bringing an architect or a new designer. At the same time, so we're kind of doing both would be the best choice if we could do that, just depending on the numbers of the transaction. How do you pencil the numbers for bringing in an architect to see that you have a return on investment? I think that comes down to more relationship than anything else. Building the right partnerships with the right people has to work out for them as well. They might get some good press, they might become potential partners in their next project. It's basically just comes down to just building relationships with the right people, creating a project that creates a little buzz that people want to participate in and sharing in the benefits of that. But you have to pay them before you receive any profit on your end, right? Because they're doing work or are you saying because you've created buzz and you've positioned it in a certain way, they're not being paid cash out of pocket before you receive money? Well, we'll make sure that we pay people. So we are paying them, but we could pay them more at a cost basis than we have to do for an added benefit if it was a complete stranger due to an architectural design for us. Okay. When you look at a project, how do you determine if it makes sense to bring in an architect and pay them versus not bring in an architect and just maybe modernize a student housing property and not use an architect? Well, I guess for us, it's a fairly simple question to answer. But for the answer to the question, I think for us is we're going to choose the project that it pencils for us. So we have the right relationships to get those projects. 
uh, for most people, they don't pencil, but that's kind of, I think one of the reasons where I survived real estate for the last 20 years comes in handy and having those relationships in place to get those deals. You have your network of people finding you the deals. You have the net partners are willing to give you the cost that makes sense. Just building relationships. And I think a lot of that is at the end of the day, I was looking at some of these things we might be talking about. If you're getting started in real estate, it's kind of developing win-win relationships with people where mm-hmm. everyone is benefiting together and growing that and to put yourself in the position where we are today because of that. And mm-hmm. it's a long process. It's a fun process, but it is a reality. But just to say, hey, I'm just going to go do that today where it took us 20 years to build out, that might not happen. I'm not right. going to say it's going to take 20 years. It could take a lot less time than that, but it's just building the relationships and the partnerships and just having an eye for it. And we found our niche is this larger so properties, five to $25 million range is more of our niche product right now. And we're able to do that in that project size where it doesn't really affect our bottom line. For someone who's looking to engage an architect for the first time on a project, say they don't have the pre-existing relationships that you've built, what should they expect from a cost standpoint for how architects charge their fee on projects? It's going to be tough for them. You're going to have to save some costs in a certain way. If you're going to pay market for something, you're going to have to look at, did you buy the property at the right cost? Is there a way you could get your construction done a little cheaper? Are you the contractor on that? Are you the real estate agent that might be if this is a, if you're selling the property? Are you going to make it up somewhere? You kind of have to kind of measure it out. It's like, if I'm going to pay market in one area, I have to have discounted in a different area. And that's kind of like being a developer, kind of juggling all those different hats and all those different analytics and just kind of put it all in a spreadsheet and say, hey, if I'm going to pay market for somebody, how do I kind of pay less for something else to even this out for it to make sense on my spreadsheet? Hmm. And roughly what is market, would you say? It just depends on the community you live in. So I don't, I don't have the exact number for you. Each market would be different. Got it. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? That is a great question. It's a hard, hard choice. And I you don't want to go there, but it's kind of, I think, put me in a position where I am today on a deal. It's having the ability to say no. Uh-huh. It's just to turn down a deal. I remember the market crash. I'm looking at 100 deals. I might be doing one. And you just got to kind of use reason when you're underwriting something. Don't do a deal just because you have to do a deal. And I, I think that would be my biggest advice is to say no. And I don't think people say no enough. And it doesn't make sense for some people, but I look at all those deals I passed on in the downturn, which if I did, I could have got in trouble on. And it was because I said no a lot. I hate to say my best advice and persevere. On the saying no front, what filters do you use? And I know there's many, and this could be a three-day conversation. So feel free to take this whatever direction you want. But what filters do you use that help you quickly identify that it is going to be a no? I would say if we're talking about a deal that we're going to be the developer on, we're the owner on, I would just say location if I'm not familiar with that location. If I don't have a really good understanding of the location of the property. It's like, well, it's a little bit outside the neck of the woods that traditionally sold. That's where I would say, hey, that's where I would start with. Are you familiar with that location? Mm-hmm. That's where I would start. There's a lot of places where you could do deals in. And if you're not familiar with that, I think that's where you start. Why would you start there? Variety of reasons. 
if you're in a new market and you don't know about how to get permits, the city, the county, who's making the decisions in those areas. You don't have relationships or know people who have relationships in those areas. On the resale side, if you're reselling an asset, are you in an area that's going to sustain a correction? Are you in an area where you really understand street by street what happens? Every city has certain cities within the cities or sectors in, in cities. Not knowing those intricacies of those neighborhoods, you might be doing the wrong product in the wrong neighborhood. Even though on paper it's the same city, you might just not know that specific neighborhood in that. So those are a lot of things to look out for. But if you're a real expert in that city itself and you're familiar with that, you would know those things. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. Let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever book you've read? I would say The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Best ever deal you've done that we haven't talked about? I did a small $90,000 deal. Turned it around for three seventy-five nine nine years ago. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Turnaround in what period of time? About 120 days. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? I didn't ask for enough money, enough fees. Best ever way you'd like to give back? I've sat on the board of a nonprofit for four years. Fantastic experience. They actually won an Academy Award on one of the students that we had. It was a phenomenal experience. I'm so proud to be a part of that. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you and learn more about your company? Easy. Go to our website, diversityfund.com. Bunch of ways to check us out, bunch of ways to communicate with us through email, through intercom, through phone call. Well, thank you for being on the show, Craig, and thanks for talking to us about your venture, Diversity Fund, and also why you created the platform, the vertical integration component, as well as a specific example of a project that you've done the housing shortage challenge that San Diego has and your solution with the affordable housing build with the 57 apartments, the 5,000 square feet commercial space, as well as just from a macro level, what you look for from a value add standpoint. And then one of the filters that you use to disqualify a deal. And that is if you're not comfortable with the location. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.